0: How do I want to start this one? I always start them somewhat awkwardly and I like that. So I'm trying to think of how this one I want to start. Pat, why are you wearing sunglasses in my house? Because I'm so goddamn cool.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hello. That's that's how we're going to start it with Pat wearing sunglasses. I I like that. That's that's awkward enough. Yeah, we'll just roll with that. That's awkward enough Uh, for a start. Yeah, today is actually a a special kind of episode. This is our first ever guest cast yay 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 this is uh this is our friend Kara. hello hi welcome
0: hello
2: i'm the first ever guest
1: you are
0: <laughs> you are welcome
2: i didn't know that actually yes hello
0: first ever guest on the show and I, we thought it was appropriate to have you on the show for this particular topic being narrative in video games which is such a deep
2: topic
1: <laughs> that yeah let's get all of it in an hour yeah, let's
0: let's scratch the I surface, think we can do
2: that. <laughs> like you don't need to go to university. You don't need to take any classes or even play any games. If you just listen to this one podcast, you're going to get all of it. It's yes. true.
3: Wow. Yeah. Yes. That's a great value. Yeah, agreed.
2: Mm-hmm. And you can For find free. it at your local 7 <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. Yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> 7-Eleven. <7-11. laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you find it next
1: to the hot dogs.
0: That's where our podcast is located, at the 7-Eleven yeah, next to the hot dogs.
1: We're, tra- we're angling for a, a counter spot, but Five Gum keeps beating us out. It's yeah. it's a bloody bid war. They've got more oh, money. Man. I know. They've got more money. This, this must be estate. what it feels like to chew Five Gum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought the prime
3: real estate would be by the taquitos, which are very appetizing. Our, we don't dwell do in know.
2: the
1: heat. No. Yeah.
2: I remember taquitos. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so the narrative of this podcast has already gone way off the rails. So. That, so that mm-hmm.
0: seems to be the theme though across the multiple episodes yeah. that we've done. So it, it fits. It started early though. <laughs> it did start early. <laughs>
4: uh, but we
3: had a good introductory bang to draw you in and now there's kind of like the, the cooling where you introduce more of the narrative elements. right? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 mm-hmm. the opening so, of the first act.
2: <laughs> I will introduce myself then. Uh, I'm Kara Hillstock. I go by Cheritomo online and I am a narrative designer for video games and I also stream.
1: Yes, go yes. follow That's on Twitch.
2: And wish. work for many other companies. It's a thing. Wow. <laughs> I'm a freelancer so I do many things. Wear many hats. Many Wear hats. many
0: hats. Yes. Mm-hmm. So expression. The, the thing that interests me the most when I was thinking, when I first was coming up with the idea for the topic of narrative was I was the way it came to me was I started thinking about different games that I was playing within a week span because I played um the game inside but I was Mm -hmm. also playing Persona 5 and I was thinking Mm. about how very different they tell their stories but both get their story across very clearly and and that's I guess why narrative became such a a big idea in my head like that light bulb went off like oh you know what that would be a great idea because i love the idea of how many different ways a story can be told it can be told without words it can be told very very what's the word i want to use very viscerally yes viscerally um Mm -hmm. so but but you can also get more of uh, as like a sort of like a uh, like visual novels are more like that book style kind of put it in front of you and take the story as it like as it comes across like rather an expositionary yes
1: or kind of just like mm-hmm. gives you the story and you're just it's, you're just there to absorb it.
2: As they tend to, to be written more like books, although that varies widely across the genre.
1: Yeah.
0: I know the first. Funny enough, the first uh, the first visual novel I ever played was suggested to me, and it was the game Sakura Spirit.
4: Oh, um, <laughs> I, w- I was not oh.
0: I was not prepared for what what came to oh. be when yeah, I played it.
2: Wow! Did someone recommend that to you to like stream or <laughs> just
0: to play? They were just like, "You oh, should I- you should try this game out," and I was like okay, I'll... Yeah, I'll, ooh, that's I'll, an I'll give it introduction. a shot. And I was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting at all.
2: Mm, no, no. <laughs> However, so uh, visual novels are interesting because they only really kind of came to more pop culture, I guess, or like general knowledge prevalence fairly recently. Like I would say maybe around... 2016 2017 so before it was this very much niche thing very focused on story and then after this kind of boom happened it became more known for me <laughs> games and also porn
4: yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. The, the
2: wider things that it's known for now <laughs> are like uh, dream daddy or had a full boyfriend and also porn
0: <laughs> yeah i know and, and i think um Doki Doki Literature Club is another one that I know is relatively popular. Like I remember when that game mm-hmm. came out it was all over YouTube. All like every big YouTuber was playing it and I'm like what is this game? Is it just a visual novel it but it's more but it's than also, that.
3: It's got that like a uh, like kind of one-shot Undertale-ish like indie game with a twist element
1: to it oh, and it sort of it has a meta narrative in and of itself too. It
2: is a, it is an extremely well told story that's one of the games that is like achieved meme status but achieved it solely by being really good at what it intended to do so like rather than having like oh it's a boy but he has the body of a horse let's play the game because that's the concept it just <laughs> it's just told it story really well
0: yeah from everything i've seen of how the game played out because i i never got a chance to play it myself and i i do intend on getting around to it at some point it did look really Mm -hmm. interesting especially like like you were saying pat it had those sort of like undertale-ish type things in it because i think like the game closes and right you have to delete files Mm -hmm. in the game and stuff like that and that's 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 some right right next level stuff i love you're tapping
3: into something a little bit wrong
2: it does evolve into a meta-narrative, and I would highly recommend that basically anybody play this game. However, with a huge caveat that um, it deals with some really heavy topics, so if you're not in a good mental space, don't. <laughs> Just don't. Just full-on don't.
0: Yeah, probably uh, not a bad idea. Check
3: your
1: content. It's, warnings. Like I
2: said, it's a very well-told story, so you will be empathizing heavily with what's occurring. <laughs>
1: Now I've I've never actually played a visual novel. I did watch a lot of Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, I think I watched the Game Grumps play through it, and that was a, a solid playthrough. And it kind of gave me the sense for for what was going on. But I mm-hmm. find that like video games specifically, you said that visual novels are largely written like books, and I find that video games as a medium offer a different opportunity for narrative. Like when you're watching a movie or you're reading a book, you're you're hoping that like. The character that you're rooting for succeeds through his challenges, whereas in a video game, you're personally yourself trying to succeed through these challenges, even if it's through like another character in the game. You know, if you play mm-hmm. like The Witcher or uh, Castlevania, you're you're trying. You personally have a vested interest in defeating these monsters and, and in saving this world because it's actually you doing it. There's a There's a a more personal connection to what you're actually seeing and participating in. You're a more active participant than you are Mm -hmm. when watching a movie or a book. And I find that to be, like, really interesting.
2: There's a very big – because I also am just a normal writer as well as a video game writer. And there's a very vast difference between the two because when you're writing for video games, you are writing – purposefully to interact with a person and to try and, as much as you can, take their brain and envelop it within <laughs> within the story that you're writing. And that's not necessarily something that you do with most other forms of written narrative yeah. communication.
1: Trying to immerse them.
2: Mm-hmm. It's the interactivity element that is different for video games over almost any other medium.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a weird
3: comparison to make anyway between it and other mediums because like a, a game intrinsically like and there's been endless thought pieces about like games being cinematic right and like you get where that comes from but they're also long form so like you want to almost compare it <laughs> to a book where it's like I have to have all this attention for things that'll come back later Um. Mm-hmm. so yeah they, they do kind of occupy a weird cross space between I guess a lot of things that we felt like we knew
0: yeah. Yes. I, well, I it's funny when you were talking about visual novels being sort of like like a book. I kind of always thought of them when at least from the experiences I had playing them, I kind of thought of them sort of like a book but not specifically just a book, I think of like those choose your own adventure yeah. books. Yeah, it's a choose your right. own yes. adventure book. That's what I always think about, except in choose your own adventure books, you usually die in the book like 2,000 times. And
1: then you leave your finger in the previous page. <laughs> that's yeah, right. I, yeah,
0: I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> My finger's still in mean, the page.
2: That is, it, yes, that's pretty much exactly what visual novels are. I think that as far as video games go, visual novels tend to be the most straightforward way to present interactivity to a player and so because of that the narratives can be both like they appear more simple on the surface but they actually tend to be much more complex as in the player tends to have a lot more say over how the story goes than in more narrative driven triple a titles where the budget kind of doesn't allow that to happen
1: right and the game takes steps to keep you from veering deviating too far or it gives you yeah, an, enough little things to do that it allows you to do before going back onto the main thing. But anything beyond mm-hmm. that is is sacrosanct. There's the
2: illusion of choice, the they, illusion put, that you can control the narrative. <laughs> yeah, they've
3: put so much production value into like the thick trunk of the story that like what branches off are not very defining characteristics, at least to me.
4: Yeah.
0: Well, it's it, it, it's interesting because I think when when the biggest example that i use and i know i I was part of it and i I, i've openly said i want to give it a second shot because i've been very vocal about my distaste for it but i think that was why when final fantasy 13 came out i disliked it so much because i was so used to that open world kind of go do your own thing and that was very different in 13 not to say that the story was bad but i was like this is it It was almost like a shock comparatively to older titles it was like i'm i'm not used to this i don't yeah. like i don't like change <laughs> i think it was
3: the time and the place too because like since 10 the series was changing some of the games were online other ones felt like an online game like but they were becoming big hallways and 13 it was like oh we're doing like a big regular installment of final fantasy and Can we're going I with that new style. God. We're going with the hallway.
1: The like hallway. it, it felt, felt like the world it. map was going away forever. I, I have a secret too. Okay. like I liked Final Fantasy 13.
2: <laughs> oh my god! What? No, a Final <laughs> Fantasy 13 is bad. Yeah, <laughs> That's what know, the secret know. is. The secret is that the story in Final the story. Okay. Listen, if I, we're, we're going to start that breaking sound story... It's okay no, it,
1: to like bad games. It,
2: it, <laughs> that's true. It's not even that the story itself is bad, it's that the story is impenetrable. There is no way to get into the story the way that they deliver it to you. So if you, like, do invest the dozens of hours required to fully comprehend what's happening in the story, then you enjoy it, but... Yeah, for, without, like, normal people who were gonna play it.
1: For, for normal people who kind of played it, and it would, that was kind of me at the time, because I don't play a whole lot of JRPGs. And so, like, my girlfriend at the time was playing it, and I was like, oh, this looks cool, let's give it a try. And so I gave it a try, and I enjoyed it. But, like, without going into too much thought, I was just like, huh, is this, like, is this, like, a racism thing or something? Like, I don't know what's happening here. I don't. Against, like, the people not- on the inside? Of the planet. I don't. But the planet, I don't, like there's people living on the outside too. Uh,
2: Is I that? I, I got 20 hours into Final Fantasy 13 and I read every data log. Like I was really trying to comprehend what was happening and I still couldn't comprehend what was happening or what the theme was of the story. Like what was the point of telling this story? Like it seems like one of those stories that's using a lot of highly symbolizing and like oh, people are going to relate to this concept because it does kind of seem like it's about like racism or othering people or something bad but then like there's nothing else there that really backs that up or what there is is confused and also backs up other points and like none of it is coherent. It's a badly told narrative. (laughs) Oh, and it's
1: and like it, it gets even worse once you get to the end, like once you get to the end game you're just on an open plane with like wild animals around and you're like what happened to this story like (laughs) why am I here I was trying to take down this evil government and now I'm fighting dinosaurs like what is my life
0: to me that was to please I've always thought this that was to please old Final Fantasy fans because they are like see there's an open world in like the last five minutes of the game here you can you can have this and you're like really
1: it's like giving you the airship to go fight sephiroth like
4: yeah yeah. which by the way
1: is exactly what final fantasy X
3: did they had the calm lands which was a big open space right at the end of the map and then they gave you the airship to go fight sephiroth or whoever but to be fair
2: the story was good Yes, was a well-told narrative that was
3: coherent and had
2: themes.
3: (laughs) So I revisited it uh, maybe like two months ago, was it? About two months ago. And I I got it when it came out, and I remember being really, I didn't hate it, but I was like really displeased because of like the change away from a world map, and also like all these people talk, and like I'm a teenager, rejects feelings and stuff. (laughs) And and I just (laughs) went back through it again now, and I, I was shocked to find like, Oh my god, I like some of this voice acting a lot. And the story's like kind of pretty
0: good. Like, uh, what do, What do I know? Like, I, I will. What su- do I know? They. I was surprised when I went back and played Final Fantasy X the second time because I was very similar. I remember it. I remember it so vividly. It came out when I was in eighth grade. I played it. I was like. I do not like this game I'm gonna beat it but I don't like it
3: this displeases me
0: but I finished it and then when I went and I revisited it and played it again and I'm watching the story and and you're watching you know you you get to know Lulu you get to know Kamari you get to know all these characters and I'm like man these characters are much deeper than I remember (laughs) them the first time I played it Mm -hmm. and I feel like it was just my ignorance of oh well this isn't what i expected i don't like change
2: <laughs> it was that i think that i think the final fantasy series pre final fantasy 12 i would say is very interesting because you look at it and it's filled with like spiky haired anime, like magic and guns, and like nothing mm-hmm. seems subtle, but there's a lot of subtlety in the in understanding the characters and how the characters feel that the game just kind of expects you to pick up on. All of them, Ex- especially Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII oh, was the one with Oh, like that. yeah and so nobody picked up on the things that they were putting down
3: another game that as a teenager, actually I liked it when I was playing it and then a friend was like that game sucks and I'm like yeah like it has a girl in it and there's again like I'm a teenager who can't do feelings that's bad actually and so I put it away but like every few years I get it I'm like I kind of like this while I'm playing it but then I, I'm conflicted on the
0: inside
3: like there was a lot of narrative going on this? for me
0: and now I'm at a point where it's just like wow I really love this game I I remember getting in arguments in grade school because I loved Final Fantasy 8 when I in grade school I loved that game and people were like that game's stupid it's not Final Fantasy 7 I'm like yeah I know it's not that's and why it's I not called it. Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> idiot like, I really enjoy this game but that's a, but we already have Final Fantasy 7
4: but i will tell say, that to
0: the remake i will yeah. say whatever <laughs> because i need to say that if i'm talking about final fantasy 8 i need to say whatever at least once sorry <laughs> whatever. whatever
2: i really really love final fantasy 8 and i love it because i think the characters and the thematic statement regarding the story is very strong because it's really a character driven story in a way that uh uh, most JRPGs try to be and fail to yeah. be in my opinion. So I think there's
3: an easy um, comparison to kind of illustrate it is like I think of the characters in 8 and then I try and compare them to 7 and like there's not a lot of characters that have like as strong of like a, a through line for themselves. I think of like, like Barrett's pretty motivated. He's got a backstory and like mm-hmm. surprisingly he's a character I felt like had a little more character depth where like other characters just feel very like straightforward like I'm a stoic guy like
0: yeah like Sid and and a, it's like
3: really all about the characters <laughs> Sid yeah. was just mad that they shot
0: his
1: plane <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> He was also mad at his wife for being right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was mad at his wife for being right. I mean, yeah. he could have stopped
1: her from being right and just killed her. I mean, it seemed like he was trying. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: some of the, some of the characters definitely. I, I hate saying it because I again, I do I do like Final Fantasy 7, but I do feel like some of the characters are just kind of like shoehorned. Uh, in. I
3: would not call it a character-driven I, story. No, I would not.
2: I'm
4: would having not. well,
2: I'm having a because I went back and played Final Fantasy 7. I didn't really play it as a kid because I was I was too young at the time to be able to beat the game. Like I just got stuck in Midgar but i went back and played it again as a teenager and i remember if you do a lot of the side quests for the characters there is a lot of depth there but if you don't there's not a lot of depth there
3: yeah yeah i guess it's like the the stuff from the game that that sticks afterwards seems more like like plot driven
1: as opposed to eight where like it's it's a lot about the characters relationships yeah. yeah and like in seven it's it's a lot of them reacting to what's happening around them like
2: yeah that's you know, there's true. The, the
1: midgar plate falling and then like the president of shinra is killed and then sephiroth that whole narrative starts exploding and it's all just them reacting to things like they follow sephiroth to the temple of the ancients and then they follow Sephiroth to the northern crater. It's basically, then, Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm, yeah, where everybody goes <laughs> yeah. around and reacts to. Everything.
4: Yeah, they have they have
2: character motivated reasons for being there, but they don't tend to alter that much once once they've shown up. Like Barrett has this child that he wants to take care of, and that just remains exactly the same throughout the entire game. Yeah, yes.
1: yeah. And there's very little growth for any of the characters in that game.
0: Well, I still never forget. I, I always cracked up about it. I was talking about Final Fantasy VII one day with a friend. at He worked at GameStop, and I'm sitting there hanging out with him during his break. And this dude is just listening to our conversation. We're talking about Final Fantasy VII. And the guy just butts into our conversation, and he's like, yo, that game's stupid. He's like, let me tell you something. He's like, you want to know what Cloud is? Cloud was a box who became a slightly bigger box. He's like, that's it. And I just remember him saying this to me, like, it's kind of true and kind of funny that he said it. <laughs> like, he, there, there's not a huge amount of growth. And I think that, like, oh, like we said, that's for I, like every character. I
2: disagree. Really? I disagree with that. I the mean,
4: entire story cloud's of like the
2: Seven is literally just Cloud's growth.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the adventure the, the through his story of who am I, 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 I th- forgot.
2: I think it's something that people forget how much growth happened in that game because every single thing that came out after Final Fantasy 7 that dealt with Final Fantasy 7 pretended it never happened. So that's the weird that... thing.
3: I talked about this. I think I talked about it on the podcast but we talk about it all the time is over time there's been a bit of revisionist history with Cloud where like for some reason they gave him Vincent's personality <laughs> and like, yes. like he wasn't always that serious. Like he was kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Well, like, like Sid the, described it just when you thought he was cool he'd say something dumb as shit
2: <laughs> by the end of the game spoilers he l- reveals that his true personality is like Genki AF like he's like yeah let's go fight the guys we can do it we're awesome <laughs> and you're like what what <laughs>
3: Let's mosey.
2: Let's mosey. Like, he's this, like, country bumpkin who also is, like, really energetic and kind of stupid. And, like, that's his actual true personality. And that's probably why they didn't go with it, because nobody wants to identify with, like, a happy-go-lucky country bumpkin. (laughs) who wears a purple
1: jumpsuit. But, like, the narrative of that game feels like Sephiroth, like, hooked his fingers into Cloud's nostrils, and then it's just dragging him along, and then everyone else is just holding on to Cloud's ankles. That, uh,
3: that is basically it, and that's the narrative because it's the reunion. It's the Genova reunion drawing him to the northern crater. Oh, yeah. I mean,
2: the whole the whole story is that Cloud literally thinks he is a person that he is not. Like he just took on the persona and personality of a man who died. Like that's the whole story, and it's him remembering that. Like,
1: oh, right, that guy died. It, I'm oh, I'm else. not that
2: person. Like, oh, let me regain my memories. That's not who I am. <laughs> Is, I, I literally I like just people... took on somebody else's brain.
3: <laughs> Who am I? I? I'm that guy. Uh oh wait. No I'm, no, I'm not. I'm a different
2: guy. <laughs> I'm even gonna seduce his girlfriend.
3: Like this <laughs> is the whole game. <laughs> Stole his hairstyle, his purple jumpsuit.
1: And his big ass. Yeah.
2: They imply like that that is the reason that Aerith is attracted to Cloud because he acts like her dead boyfriend, and she's like half interested and half not interested because he keeps doing these weird things that are like real cloud boyfriend. and not her dead boyfriend. Yeah, like she's giving exclusively the black
3: attracted. I got the impression she sort of got wise to that after, at least after the the fortune reading in the temple of the ancients, where she's like, ah, oh, you know, like
4: maybe I just like she, him because
3: he's like that guy I went out with. She
2: definitely gets wise to it, yes, but don't tell the shippers that; they'll never. <laughs>
3: Oh gosh, maybe I have the Genova brain too.
2: <laughs> they think she's she's I don't know. Every like portrayal of Aeris after Final Fantasy 7 the game, like they're like, "Look, Zack's here too." And I'm like, "What? Okay. Why are all the fans like Aeris and Cloud, they belong together?" I'm like, "She's literally in heaven with her boyfriend right now." <laughs> I do think it's a little
3: wild they have like like real Jesus heaven in some of these works where, like, she's with him, and, like, you can almost imagine them, like, playing harps and, laying on clouds.
0: <laughs> well, you have the... the on what, clouds. Aha! What, what, uh-huh. what was it? The end of advent children when when yes. when they show them together and he's like leaning against the like Zach's leaning against the wall and you're like why is this here <laughs> like,
2: yeah and like and like clouds like i'm still thinking about you or something stupid and she's like i'm dead
1: she's
3: like <laughs> this is awkward literally and, like, the Keith only image
2: right there
1: <laughs> oh, literally the only image in my mind from that movie is them like climbing bahamut like as he flies into the sky do you remember, like, oh, someone yeah. summons Muhammad yeah. and they're just, like, climbing up him? Like, Cloud is teleporting into the sky. Yeah, like, there was a was Dragon a Ball Z fight. The, it was a Dragon Ball Z fight, but that, like, that is the only image that's in my head from that movie. I remember that. That's all I care about. I remember there was a
3: big disease <laughs> to tie it into that PlayStation 2 Vincent game. Oh, and and the there, oh. Was, there was Rufus Shinra had a towel over his head. Uh, that must have like not that's forget, what they
0: did to him let's not forget they sold the whole i i just remember when like the visuals came out to try to sell the movie to people was when uh cloud's coming down with the sword and he hits i'm forgetting the one brother's name he hits someone. he's holding the sword and he instantly turns into Sephiroth. <laughs> like just, he's like hello i'm here now <laughs> It's me It's me Ooh, i
2: gotta watch that movie <laughs>
1: So this is now a Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> so podcast. I'm so
3: glad that this is the Final Fantasy 7
0: episode.
2: <laughs> narrative design exclusively in the Final Fantasy series.
0: <laughs> well, I I the, because we were talking about like character development and stuff like that, it made me think of the game that made me come up with the idea for a narrative episode, which was Persona 5. And those games and I how how much I enjoy the way they do character development. In this Mm -hmm. because it's it's literally I guess you could sort of call it like almost like a dating sim like you go around and you hang out with them and you grow your relationship but you get to know these people and I think what I like about it is in those instances not so much in the main story because the main story is very different but when you're talking about the instances of meeting up and hanging out with the different members of like your team or whatever it's so relatable. And I think that's why those games have grown in popularity more and more. I mean, it doesn't relate anymore. I'm not a high schooler, so I'm not like, oh, man, high school problems.
1: God dang it. <laughs> I have an exam next week. <laughs> I, got I have study study to study for finals. <laughs> and I have to kill the coach's evil mind brain or whatever. <laughs> or whatever that game was I'm about. No, you have to excuse My me.
2: My mom wants me to do chores.
0: You have to steal his heart. Whatever. Whatever.
1: <laughs> it's whatever. It could be anything. But like. Japan is very It really strange. is like a dating sim. It's it, like, it, it, it sort of. <laughs> it's like, I, like a half dating sim, half Psychonauts.
3: It's. Uh, so, so like there are other games that try and combine like a, like a. Uh, dating type thing or an interpersonal thing with, like, these weird, broad things and they, they feel like they're in two separate boxes and so right the Persona's like, yeah, whatever! Both at the same time! It's right here! <laughs> but, but so stylish.
0: But it does it really well. Like, it found a way to take two different styles of play and put them together to make something very cohesive.
3: It accepted who it was and it became a brighter story for it. <laughs> the Persona games are
2: I think that the reason that they feel so strong for people from a narrative perspective is because it has a really strong theme. Each game has a really strong theme and then just sticks to it. And all of the all of the people that you can get to know and the relationships that you can develop enhance the themes of that specific persona game. So it all like combines to make this really cohesive whole. You never feel like getting to know a person is like a waste of your time because you're still aiding both, like gameplay-wise and narrative-wise, the whole point of the actual game. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot of uh, JRPGs and other games that try to include relationship-building mechanics, and it uh, rings hollow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you weren't feeling that date with Barrett at the Gold Sausage. <laughs> That's right. We're
2: it. going back to Final Fantasy. <laughs> I'm Here's a hundred tomato juices. Now you love me.
0: <laughs> I I <laughs> I remember I thought mechanically it was cool, but narratively it didn't it just fell flat was there was uh and and I'll I'll be honest, I'll I'll bring up my friends my friend who worked at the GameStop, his example of what he used to say to me when I used to play it was there was these games called uh it was called the Record of Agorist War. And I played that and narratively I didn't think it was that great but I thought the idea of it was pretty cool but he called it the porn game because you um, play as the character you you have a child with one of the female characters in the game and then you play as your lineage and it keeps moving forward I thought the idea of like there's there's different girls in the game and they have like different abilities some are like magic users some are better fighters some are this some are that and by by having a child with that one, your lineage would have different statistics that they brought moving forward. I thought that was cool, but the narrative of the, of the game was just horrendous. <laughs> I, that
2: I just sounds like a really hard game to make. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it, like I I liked the idea, but he always he always called it my booby game. That was the the way he would is that is it. that
2: the angle that they took for it. By the second game,
0: yeah. There were multiples. Oh. Well, there yes, was like... It is,
2: that's a really interesting concept that would be very difficult to justify budget-wise. <laughs> yeah,
0: because by the second game, it was like, massage your thighs. And I'm like, why is this in oh, here? I don't God. want this. Yeah, let's, let's take out like, the oh sex sim part.
3: And I've got a better idea. We're going to put in like a dating app where it's like, interest, fire magic does not... like. Melee combat.
0: (laughs) Uh, Swipe left.
4: I'm
3: sorry.
2: You'll forget about your real girlfriend.
3: (laughs) Well, I thought things were heating up, but we just couldn't get in close with each other, you know.
0: Well, I can say I know that the I know that the series went the wrong direction when they made a collector's edition for the second game, and it came with a booby mouse pad. And I was like, all right. Oh, I know is that a... the booby mouse pad? It's okay. the booby mouse pad. <laughs>
3: See, the mouse pad, that. I think, is more <laughs> memorable
4: than, than the game itself.
3: <laughs> For some reason, it gathered more attention. But I, I, there,
4: I, I don't know.
2: I, I know of only one other game that has played with the idea of lineage, and it's Rune Factory... Two in which um, you play as the main character for a long period of time and you get married and you have a kid, and then at some point in the plot, your main character vanishes, and then you play as your kid trying to figure out why you, the original player, vanished. That sounds Um, interesting. Yeah, it's you don't get any abilities from your parents, or you don't really even look different. Like, you the kids come out the same every time, and you don't get to proceed down any further legacies but it was a really interesting concept that didn't didn't quite work out gameplay wise because it basically just kind of seemed like the game stopped like the narrative was really short and stopped all of the sudden and you didn't really know what you had to do to get the narrative to keep going and then eventually you had a kid and after enough time passed the plot would just start back up again and your character was gone
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think the closest I've ever come to anything like that was Spore did you play Spore? Um, no. Uh, like, yeah. I remember it, but I never played it. Yeah. Spore was, I like... I played it. And Spore was, like, interesting and novel the first time. And then, like, you get, like, to your second and third playthroughs, and you're like, how many dicks can I fit on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> and you just like, are you cover yeah. it with horns, or, like, you give it 18 legs. You just try to make it look as ridiculous as possible. And then you're like, okay, well, now it's, it's no fun because it's the same game for a while, but... <sighs> Now, congratulations! Yeah. Your monster factory. Well, like you would collect like evolution points, and then you would have like your 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 spore like creatures mate, and then you could use those evolution points on the offspring, and then it would become better, and then it would just spread throughout the entire species, something along those lines.
2: I remember being very disappointed with spore because the way that it had been uh, pitched was like you're going to create this little creature that's like an amoeba and then you're going to follow it through each successive generation of evolution and by Mm -hmm. the end of the game you're going to have this whole unique world that looks nothing like anybody else's and like all these decisions you'll have made will have drastically affected your city and in the end it's like i mean kind of if by affected my city you mean made the people in the city look different (laughs) yeah that was pretty much the only thing like every end game looked the same yeah and so it was really disappointing
3: because i remember that was like Uh, so highly anticipated and like that was that was will wright's kind of like next big like brainchild right yeah it got no man's guide every phase was supposed to be like an homage like a different era of gaming i remember hearing all this and it came out it's like oh
2: i can explain what happened
3: oh can you (laughs)
2: Budget.
4: Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it it really all comes down to budget. It's a game that um I think that they really wanted to it to have the depth that they originally pitched, but when they ran that simulation out, like let's say that there's five stages of evolution, and you give your character your your players just one choice in the early stage of evolution, just one choice in each stage of evolution, you already end up with like what what is what is the exponential value to the fourth? What like sixty four different outcomes that you're now needing to code into the game and create different graphics for within the game? Oh yeah, different and
1: AIs and, and all. yeah, and
2: different AIs and yeah. The idea that that you could give your players a satisfying level of choice within each level of evolution would create a game that just costs a ridiculous amount that no AAA studio is really gonna. Going to yeah. want to justify. Or, so that came
1: or after it under its own weight.
3: That, that came after The Sims, yes. right? So, like, yes. I, I can't imagine an apparatus that saw how successful The Sims was was going to wait for them to like make this whole nuanced simulator. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and the only way the only way that they really could have made it like The Sims is to leave it to the player to construct their own narrative around their little evolutionary peoples, but they didn't really seem to want to do that because they have these built-in quasi-narratives in the game where like you can befriend a certain tribe or rival a certain tribe and no matter what you're all gunning for the same thing which is like colonizing other planets like you're all going the same direction no matter what and in the sims you have this illusion of choice where as long as you can construct a narrative you can plausibly technically do anything.
1: (laughs) Well, the The Sims is a is a good game in that it allows it gives the players to the tools to make their own fun, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 a dick around simulator, right? You like that's why people are always putting their Sims in pools and taking away the ladders, or like putting couches in front of fireplaces and taking away the doors. It's it gives you the opportunities to to make your own fun, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you can have a house with like thirty bathrooms and all of them have glass walls if that's the way you yeah, want it's, it. Like, it's it's, it's that
0: same thing. It's why why simulation games have gotten so popular. It's why people love like the Roller Coaster Tycoons and like today, plan- I think Planet, Coaster's Planet Coaster is pretty
1: popular. My wife plays Planet
0: coaster. Um, play Planet coaster. I'm not good enough to play Planet Coaster. I'm not
1: good enough to play any of those games. Like, I still play Roller yeah. Coaster Tycoon I play Roller coaster, coaster And I launch people into the like lakes and rivers and shit.
0: <laughs> I tried to run an effective park once. It, it's pretty challenging. Yeah, yeah, it is, it's, it's but it's fun. It's fun. It is fun. But one thing I did want to touch on, I want to make sure I cover all my bases here, because as we said, most comprehensive podcast about narrative there's ever been.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. and it's twenty minutes of Final Fantasy VII. We've touched on all the bases.
2: It was a landmark game. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: agree. Is (laughs) I'm playing it now. Actually,
0: a game. Yeah, you're playing the Final Threat mod.
1: Yeah, the new Threat mod. Uh, or New Threat. Yeah. Uh, The
0: a game that we talked about a little bit before we started the podcast that I wanted to talk about because it was a game that was suggested to me to play for stream was the Stanley Parable. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember the first time, like, I I remember when they told me I I went in and I looked at it and the trailer was funny, but I'm like, I don't yeah, see you what don't. I'm supposed to be doing here. Like, I don't I don't get it.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And eventually, I downloaded it, and when I first got into it, I'm like, all
1: right this is kind of stupid like, yeah
0: like that's me like first impressions within like a minute yeah you're or like of i'm just game. some
1: dude walking around an office and yeah there's like, like a voiceover okay. like yeah there's
0: a voiceover and then the game gets in and yeah then and then it gets further and further and for and you're like oh oh man this is good like it slowly mm-hmm. gets you in there
1: and there's you, if there, you feel like there's a certain point in that game where you pierce the veil so to speak. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where you're you're on the other side of the game. You're seeing it work mm-hmm. from the inside out as the as the player character. And like once you get to that point, you everything else in the game kind of just like falls apart. In yes. in a way that the game intends it to, but like your perspective mm-hmm. on what's going on kind of just crumbles once you once you pierce that veil.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I think the meta-narrative idea, like meta-narrative in games is super interesting. Oh, I love
1: it because it gives you that extra, that extra level of emotional connection because it, it relates back to the player and not just the player character, right? Because not, when they refer to the, the player character, the things that they're, that they're usually in those types of situations, the things that it's, the game is saying, it can also be saying about the player. Another great example of um, actually a lot more subtle meta-narrative is the first Bioshock. Because in the first Bioshock, yeah. like, you know, in a normal game, you, you get a quest, and then you do the quest, and then you get another quest, and then you keep doing that until the game is over. That's like those, those kind of games. Well, in Bioshock, the person who's giving you the quest makes it, it, it's built into the game that you never actually had any choice in the matter. And it it kinda like rings back to the player like, well, I never really had a choice in the matter either. Like I couldn't have gone back. The game wouldn't have let me. I could only move forward into what this guy is telling me to do. How much control do I actually have? In and it 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 kinda hits the player in a weird way too, in my opinion. At least it did me. Like once I realized that I did never actually have any say in it, it's it all kind of turned around. Yeah.
2: It's it's designed as a comment on all of the games that were around Bioshock at the time, because Bioshock came out at a time when there wasn't that much meta narrative. Yeah, games like happening at all, and all games were played in the same way. You go, you get your quest, you do the quest, and you don't even think about whether the quest is something that you should be doing or you want to do. You just do it because that's how you play the game. Yeah, that's, how you, next, to, that's how you get to the next one. It's how you the next quest. Yeah, to get you to like look at that and be like is it a problem that you don't actually have a choice in the matter and that you're just told that what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing like you're not actually thinking about the things that you're doing and is that okay
1: but at at the point in that game when it really hits home is when you you come face to face with andrew ryan and Mm -hmm. it takes control away from the player and you beat him to death with a golf club like you Mm -hmm. don't you physically do not have a choice in that scenario you it yeah. takes control away from you when you're watching a cutscene of you beating a man to death and that's when you're like oh my god like this this whole game has been this way like how many people have i killed to get to this point right under someone else's control where did they deserve it does he deserve it doesn't it matter yep <laughs> <laughs> yep and it, it kind of like it throws you into that that moral crisis
2: so this the meta-narrative aspect of games is the thing that I like the most about games and makes me want to write games is the fact that games are the only medium where you can cause, you can directly cause a person to experience something that you're trying to teach or ask them. Whereas yeah. like in yeah. books, it doesn't necessarily happen to you, or like Movies, TV, even plays to a certain extent. It doesn't happen to you, but in games you can directly ask the player a question if you tell the narrative correctly and if they're invested. That leaves them like considering the implications in their entire life. And I think that that kind of interactivity, that kind of ability to have people question and examine themselves, is the strongest thing that video games have going for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's really what made Undertale as popular as it was, is it really made you question your actions yeah. throughout the game. Like you the, the way Toby Fox put that game together, everything was about every choice you make is not one made by the character in the game, but made by you, the player. Like, yeah. how are how are you going to respond to this situation? How would you handle this situation? Sure.
3: It puts you in the old paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mon- b- battle against Monster Man, and, like, it starts you with just that. Like, how will you react if there's a different way? And then let's go a little bit further. Here's some very specific scenarios. How are you going to handle it now? Like, yeah. like it, it escalates that element of it.
1: But as far as, like, narrative-driven games go, there was one in particular that I thought did a really good job of something that's really difficult and it's, it was a war game it was a first person shooter war game that managed mm. to uh, I guess tastefully address the horrors of war Now, that was Spec Ops the line
4: Spec mm-hmm. Ops
1: was a fantastic game and like the last two thirds of it are mostly a hallucination like that game is is actually super nutty
0: well, you have games like um I think Battlefield 1 tried to do something similar. Yeah. But the the problem I had with it was when you played that game, the narrative was very weak. Yeah. Considering it's a game about World War 1, there's plenty of information we have about World War 1 that you could make something very cohesive and very strong, but Their way of doing it and I I never forget it when I first played it is like when you when you die in the first area of the game, like it would have a person's name come up and date of birth and date of death and like they're trying to sort of sell you the horrors of war but trying to humanize it. Yeah, trying to humanize it. But the problem that I had with it was I was like the way you frame this game the biggest selling factor of this game is still the gunplay, the fighting, the glamorized war. war. Like, yeah. you yeah. glamorize the war still. You didn't get mm-hmm. your point across. The idea is to not glamorize it, yeah. which is what you were trying to do at the beginning of the game, but the rest of the game did not indicate that.
1: It was like the... Um, mm-hmm. What was the Call of Duty game where they had you shoot up an airport? Uh, Modern Warfare 2. Was yeah. it Modern Warfare 2? Yep. And, like, I feel like if that was done a little bit more tastefully or, I guess a little bit more.
2: Can you do that tastefully, I wonder? Maybe, if you <laughs> it
1: do it in, the build up in a way. Up to it. it depends like, on the build-up to it. It
3: was, it was done in a way where, like, if you're a reasonable person who's not naive, then you know that they were doing it for attention. Like, like first was, have a shocking thing in our game, and second was, oh, but think of the implications. And maybe maybe you could do something like that, tastefully, if you're, if your intention is commentary first and not, like, a big marketing
0: spectacle. Yeah. yeah, like there's a game I've talked about a number of times that I I fell in love with called Valiant Hearts. Um, it was about World War One, and it's about this older farmer gentleman who got put into the war named Emil. Like it was, but the way they tell the story, it's not a war game. It was actually a game based around war that's actually a puzzle game, and I thought it was really interesting because. They showed instances in the game where there's one point where you're stuck in underground, uh, underground tunnels, and it's you as a Frenchman and a German soldier, and you're actually working together to do these puzzles to get out. Kind of showing like that there is a human side to the people behind the war. Like oh, yeah. they don't want to fight each other. They just this is this is what this war has become. And I loved how that whole story, I encourage anybody to play that game because I've I've said this a thousand times before, I've played more video games than I can remember, but that was one video game when I got to the end of it, I literally bawled my eyes out. Like, it hit me so hard, I was crying for like a solid five to ten minutes. I was like that. That's that's telling a story as best as it could possibly be told. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Yeah. But I strongly encourage mm-hmm. play it.
1: I, I like a good strong narrative that leaves you with that. That like it's like a satisfied emptiness where you're like, well, this thing is over, but it was it was it, was, it ended well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you're sad to see it go, but you're happy that it was there initially. Persona Five did that
0: to
2: resolution.
3: Me. Yeah, yeah, that, that where you feel emotionally depleted in the in the good
0: way. Yeah, Persona <laughs> Five definitely did that to me. I've really enjoyed that game.
2: I'm trying to think of a game it's, that
1: did that for me. It's,
2: it's one of the hard things about a game with a meta narrative, uh, that in order to like truly experience the game and have the story have the right impact on you, you kind of have to go into it blind. Um, right. Because of the way that meta narratives play with your expectations of the genre, so if you go in expecting that it's going to be different from the expectations of the genre, you're necessarily going to have a completely different experience than someone who goes in expecting this just to be like any other game.
1: Yeah, uh, looking for a twist.
2: Yeah, or, or and looking I think to that analyze
1: it from that lens. The
2: the, the prevalence of meta narratives just across all media now have gotten more and more intense, where because of social media, it's changing how people are writing shows actively in real time. And so that's why spoiler culture has gotten so much more intense because it used to be that like knowing the twist end to a story wouldn't really affect it that much because you could still invest yourself in the story. But if you were one of those people who had Undertale spoiled for you, like you just were not going to enjoy that game as much as somebody who didn't because yeah. you weren't going to be able to make your own choices about what happens in the narrative and that was the whole point of the game.
3: Right. You're sp- like I remember you're supposed to kind of come in with that expectation like, oh, this is a game where you can talk to monsters and like that sets a little bit of an expectation but what was in it was a lot more and I do think there was an expiration date on uh, I don't want to say properly enjoying that game but kind of.
2: Yeah, it was something that I saw a lot given that so many of my friends are Uh, gaming YouTubers so there were parts of them who like got to play it before it was before it got spoiled like somebody reached out to them was like literally just immediately play this game or it will be too late for you and then there were the people who didn't get there and like got it spoiled to them by like a tweet or something stupid or people were insisting that they play the game a specific way and the reactions between who really liked the game and who hated the game or like didn't see why people liked it so much was literally split down that line yeah. <laughs> of who got in there first
3: yeah it's it's a little different when it's like i wonder what this rpg has versus like oh i'm gonna play this game where i date wacky skeletons like <laughs> like yeah the surprise is ruined yeah the su- this the the wacky skeletons are a surprise people that's what i'm saying
0: I I was I, I can actually say I'm surprised that it happened well I'm, actually I'm not I'm not very much of a social media user to be fair but I, I was happy that when Undertale got, came out I didn't have it spoiled for me I was able to just take in the game as it was and just kind of enjoy the experience as it was and I played it probably months after it came out I but- actually
3: remember stopping in the middle of it and picking it up again because I couldn't beat the uh, the, the spider fight Oh, yeah. I still haven't. Oh, and and yeah, still that managed to like, not have it spoiled in the middle. It's, it's kind of shocking in retrospect.
2: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a little bit of spoilers just because, like, I never really planned on finishing the game. Like, I enjoyed it, and then I can play it for a couple hours, and then I'm just like, oh, okay. And then I come back to it, like, six months later, and I forget where I was. So I just start over, and then I get to the <laughs> same point, and I was like, oh, this looks familiar. And I'm bored again. And that's, that's yeah, it's basically the cycle. Style. But, like, I'm. I know, like, some of the the big twists, but I lack the context for them, and for me, that's more interesting. Hmm. Like, hmm. I, I know, if, like, are we imposing a moratorium on Undertale spoilers? I'm assuming you guys. I think
3: the expiration date is long over.
1: Yeah, right yeah I think.
0: Stop
2: I... listening to the podcast <laughs> if you don't want it spoiled. Go play it. Go, Go listen play to the, the controller's entire... <laughs> podcast or play <laughs> and Shovel And then come Earth. back.
1: <laughs> but, um, like, I know about the Sans fight, and I kind of have an idea about how to access it, but like I'm I'm assuming that the sans fight is a culmination of a lot of the the narrative elements that are that are kind of happening leading up to it. So like I know like that that whole like that meme, like that fight mm-hmm. meme, but
2: that, that's a thing.
1: Yeah, I know what it is. I've seen the fight. I've heard the music like whatever. but the the context of that fight is more interesting to me. Heard the music far That too makes much. a
2: lot of sense if you don't know the context to the fight. Yes, yeah. that is the most interesting part. Of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And,
2: but like I know,
1: I know about the fight, the fight with Flowey. I know about the fight with Sands. I, I know generally how to access those things, but as far as the circumstances surrounding them, like it's, it, I don't. It doesn't. That's what the most important thing to me. Do you they, know about the fight against Gaster? I don't know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you, gotta,
0: but there you was just a, gotta throw fake stuff in there because a, a thing. But
1: there was a line from a, a Plinkett review, actually, when they were talking about uh, Star Wars Episode Three, where they had this long, drawn-out lightsaber battle. It was like 20 minutes on a lake of lava, and they're like flying on robots and shit, and you just don't care because you, you don't care about what they're fighting about. The context of the fight is what matters. You could have had it be a minute and a half and still have the same emotional impact. It's about the the context of why these people are fighting. You don't want to just see two people beat up on each other. You want to know that they oppose each other for some reason other than you're standing across from me. And that's... So,
2: like, that's one of the most interesting things I find about Undertale is that if you go back and replay the game, the parts of the narrative that people were the most impacted by all happen at the very very end of the game. For most yeah. of the game, the narrative is kind of boring. Like it's carried on its humor and the narrative yeah. itself is like kind of
1: Yeah, you're like little human girl not great. with a bunch of monsters and the king wants your soul. To open up yeah, the door. So it's very
2: straightforward. It's like uh you know, it's a quirky world and you're having fun exploring it because it's so quirky, but if those things aren't new to you, then there's not a lot that is as compelling to take you through, if you like, if you've already played it before, there's not a lot there that's that pulls you through. Like I went back to try and replay it, and I was like, "Wow, this is a bit of a drag." Yeah, that's, to yeah. try and get through again.
1: And that's how I felt in my first playthrough. I got up to the cooking robot on the cooking show. Oh, Metaton, Metaton, mm-hmm. and I was like, "All right, this is about as far as I care." And then I, mm-hmm. I never. It's a bit of a slog. Yeah. Like there was the there was the funny squid like in the lake or whatever, and I was like, "Oh, he's cute." Don't care. And
2: and (laughs) the the twists and the emotional impact at the end, I think like they come from playing the game in a particular order. Like it comes from playing the game relatively neutrally. Like maybe you're maybe you're not thinking about you know the whole mechanic of like kill or save. Maybe you're not thinking about that. You go through
1: genocide and.
2: Yeah, and you get a so-so ending, and it tells you to go back and basically do it again if you want the better ending. Um, And so with that information, the narrative changes when you go through it again, especially if you choose to do the genocide run, because that is when the things will have full impact on you, because you already know the characters, you care about them, and the fact that you're being really mean to all of them hits you really hard, whereas if you just go through and people were like do the genocide run and that's the first thing you do you don't really get why yeah you're just like oh wow
3: what's this happening edgy is a big game deal. great like yeah. you killed your friends yeah i
0: killed a bunch of
2: enemies yeah you're like oh this person who i never really spent much time bonding with because i'm on this version of the playthrough is dead and i don't care
1: yeah, <laughs> whatever haha I, I actually spent a lot of time like not killing anything i actually don't think i've killed anything in the entire time i played the game
0: okay I definitely played it neutrally the first time I played. Like I kind of went through. I'm like, I don't like you. You're you're gonna die. But I, like, as but soon, soon as I, as like I was you, like, so you're not.
1: As soon as I saw that you could like talk to the monsters and like when I met the the hat ghost, Blo- oh, uh, Bloopington or something. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's Bloopington. Bloop. <laughs> Bloop, that's the one. <laughs> Bloopington. That's
3: great. That's gonna be my new band name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like, I saw him and I was like. I don't want to kill anything around here. And then I got to the dog in the armor and uh, I was like, I could never kill anything in this world ever again. No, But
3: I really like it. <laughs> I do really like that. The game's combat is really dialogue. Like it's how you interface with
1: the characters of the yeah. world. Like. Yeah. Mm hmm. So like I met Bloopington and <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I don't really want to hurt anyone down here. And then I fight the, the llama, the, the goat mom, Oh, uh, Toriel, Toriel, yeah. Goat Mom, and I managed to not kill her, and then I met the dog in the armor, and I was like, "All right, well, I guess, I guess you're all, you're all saved. I'm not killing anybody."
2: <laughs> See, was- the Toriel fight is like for me where everything kind of came to a head because I went into it blind. So during the Toriel fight, I was literally like do i have to kill you and it was i was like making a moral choice consistently over and over because i was like i'm dying i'm losing the game i'm not going to be able to beat her but i refuse to kill this this person because she's like my mom yeah and like that was a, a very big like emotional moment for me playing and so i can see how if somebody goes through and is just like don't kill anything okay then like that's not a moment where you're discovering anything or learning anything. You're just like, well, I I guess there must be a way for me to go through this without killing her because someone told me so.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. probably a good litmus test. Like if you're not feeling it there, then you might as well turn the game off because you're not like in the right mode to uh enjoy the kind of story it's trying to tell.
1: But I find with that with that fight initially, um now I don't I don't know if you fight her later on, but I know in the initial fight, like she's there, there are two ways that people can react. They're like, "Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt Goat Mom," or like, you know, "Fuck her, she's keeping me locked in the basement. Like, let me out." Like, she yeah. didn't want you to leave her house at all, and she's willing to fight you for it.
3: I think it leads you down this mid- like there, there is an intended path where like you don't want to fight her, but you find that it's a situation you can't escape without making a decision. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there's only one choice to make, which there's not. But like that's that's the that's the scenario, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, like that's that's kind of it. Like for me, I I did keep persevering in fine. like you, you see the little things, like she stops trying to kill you when you're at low health. Yeah, like the flames avoid you, and, mm-hmm. and like eventually you find a way. But because I had that expectation of like, oh, this is like like a choice game. But, but it's also meta about it so it left me with that like when are you going to kick that out from under me and so I had that going the whole game and I thought that was really compelling you Yeah. Know? Like, mm. like at some point you're going to take away like this, this sure fire like no hard feelings type situation
2: interesting Yeah. yeah
0: I will say there was no way I was getting through that game the first time in a pacifist run, because as soon as I saw the frogs, I was like, uh-uh, you're going down.
2: <laughs> Anti-frog.
0: Wow. Every Frank has so, a thing against frogs. I have a thing against frogs, mm. because every game I speedrun has <laughs> frogs in it, and they're always the thing that ruined my speedruns. So I have a very strong feeling about frogs.
2: I, frogs are innocent. <laughs> they're just trying to live their lives, okay?
0: I don't know, not these ones. Tell that to Jeremiah. Tell that to Jeremiah the frog. <laughs>
4: He's ruined wow, all I, my I'd speed He's a good
0: friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I wanted to ask when you when you were creating Asagao Academy, like how did the process come to like how did you come to the process of the narrative for Asagao, the way you put it together? Was it like You had an idea, like a foundation of, oh, well, this is what I wanted it to be, so let me go in this direction, or did it kind of, I want it to be about this, and then I'll move in that direction and form it around that?
1: Top down or bottom up, basically?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) neither really. So Asuka was a team effort. There were three of us, and actually... Danielle Hargrave, who is married to Austin, peanut butter gamer um, was the original creator of the idea and I was hired on initially just as a writer and then a few months into the project I became the director of the game and went from there so the narrative was collaborative she had like an outline already prepared and then we collaborated on it and basically that outline got demolished because it didn't work (laughs) um, with where we needed the story to go and we had to rebuild the entire game from the ground up using a lot of the ideas that she had initially had so it was an active like months of collaboration and like what if this character did this what if this character's route was about these themes what if The story in general was about this and trying to make sure everybody was on the same page uh, that was just continuously evolving over the whole course and then once we had all of the outlines set out for all of the routes then uh, we began writing and we all wrote the first chapter of the game and I wrote all of the routes except for Shane's route Uh, and that's how the game got done okay Um, So I tend to find that when you're making visual novels specifically because they tend to be indie projects and they tend to be more passion projects, you have a lot more control over the narrative and the narrative is also the, at least when I create it, the main thing about the game and you build the gameplay around the narrative, if it's a visual novel where there is more game, like there's simulation elements or something like that. You build the gameplay to fuel the narrative. Whereas, if you're going into a different type of game, or you're working with like a AAA developer, it the narrative—I uh, don't want to say it's an afterthought, but it's kind of an afterthought.
1: It's like an end thought. A, like it's, it's not quite yeah, an afterthought.
2: It tends—it tends to be something that like game writers are hired. Like not with the group of people who are envisioning the project and you have to get the gameplay going and test it, make sure that it's fun and that it's going to work and then you bring people along to be like okay, well we kind of have this general idea for a narrative and we need you to just make dialogue and like really like try to make it kind of interesting but also you only have 30 characters per screen and <laughs> you only get like the more writing you do, the more we have to pay the voice actors, so if you could try to minimize (laughs) it. We also pay you by the word. It tends to be a lot of a budgetary concern unless it's the narrative is baked into the game itself. Like a horror game, it would be very different. right? right. Um, So it, it has to be something that people are intentionally setting out to do to make this game have an interesting and compelling narrative and build that into the game functionally so that the gameplay and the narrative speak to each other and then you have A way more likely chance of having a compelling narrative in the game.
1: (laughs) So everything kind of feeds back into each other.
2: It in a good game, it should because I'm very big about themes. I think that a lot of the times when game stories don't hit home, it's because they're lacking a theme. And if you have a theme in mind The gameplay can build towards a theme. The art can build towards a theme. The music can build towards a theme. Everything can work synergistically towards an end. That's going to give you a strong experience by the time that you finish the game.
3: Yeah. Right. The theme is realized if all the elements kind of cohesively can feed into it. Like, it's it's something only realized when they come together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it leads to something where the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. If it all feeds into that main theme.
2: Ideally, um... So with Asagao, we really wanted it to be... um, For those who don't know, Asagao Academy Normal Boots Club is a game in which you play as a girl named Hana who shows up at a school um, and dates fictionalized versions of the Normal Boots YouTubers. So like Peanut Butter Gamer and uh, The Completionist, those kinds of people. Um, So going into it, we knew that the concept was... Mimi. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's the first word that came to mind. I was like, eh, that's a little memey.
2: Exactly. It's very memey. And we knew that, like, most people are going to go into this game imagining that it's like a stupid, pithy joke game. And we really, really didn't want to make one of those because we were all very big fans of visual novels and didn't want to kind of do a disservice to the genre. So we decided that instead of it being a game that's about dating normal boots it's a game that's about hana's journey from going from this like bullied extremely anxious isolated kind of girl into finding her own place and something that she cares about and like a group of people that she can be at ease with and so we designed the game around that and the romances kind of help her get there but the romance isn't the main part of the story and neither are the normal boots guys the main part of the story hana is the main part of the story and i think we did it in such a way that the people who played it at least from when the game came out and i was watching them stream it and i was anxiously like my heart rapidly beating <laughs> waiting for people's reactions um wow, they I, wouldn't I go then. into I it.
1: deal with that yeah no
2: i it was horrible but like good but like horrible i just but, wait uh,
1: for ign <laughs> to puff up my ego
2: that that didn't happen (laughs) and i would just um, never
1: read ign again
2: you would you would see people who had no familiarity with like us go into the game and initially be like this is stupid and like making fun of everything and everything's stupid and then it hits uh one of two big emotional points in the story um, one where there's a character named Satch who Hana is basically getting bullied in the library and he comes and is just kind to her and tells them to knock it off and a lot of people really empathize with that. And one is a scene in which Hana is really, really missing her father and it's like a kind of a big tear jerky moment. And as soon as people hit one of those two scenes, their hearts would soften before our eyes and suddenly they were invested in the game and they cared about hana and they wanted things to go well and they who should i date i don't know they all seem kind of cool and it was really fun getting to watch that cynicism get like beaten down through how we had designed the game so that people could then enter the emotional space that they needed to be in order to enjoy the game.
3: I really like that. That's a great story in and of itself, you know, a whole bunch of gamers with the devil may care attitude who don't need feelings because we're all teenage wait, I already did that. They're gonna they're gonna oops I accidentally got invested in the story.
0: (laughs) Well I think it's funny because that's sort of what happened in in my personal experience with the game was it was sent to me and I'm like, what is it? Because I, I, I had not heard of it or anything, and people people were like, this is what it is. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll play it. Like, I'll play whatever. So I go in, and I start playing the game, and I'm like, all right, so it's a dating sim. I get it. And then as I played the game, and I got to these points that you're talking about, I'm like, yeah, the dating part is complete. Like, you start to notice as the game goes on that every one of the characters that are, like, the normal boots characters or the hidden block characters are all secondary. Every everything like everything that's going on with them is kind of the secondary part of this longer story. And as soon as that hit, I was like, you know what? Like, it really, it really sold itself. It's a, it's a wonderful game. I, I really, I oh, really do believe that. And I think that more people should check it out. You two should play it. I know you still <laughs> no. play visual novels, but I you have should
1: play it. Literally, never played a visual novel. You should. This should
0: be it's- the first one. <laughs>
2: It's one of those games where um the reaction to it is either like either you're like this game is weird I'm going to play it or people are like this game is too weird and I can't play it. So <laughs> it like it like gained publicity from being weird but also people didn't want to play it because it was so weird. It was based on real people and I don't want mom and dad to I get see me it. And it. and I don't want to uh let me just like I know that I made a game about real but would I advise anybody else to do that? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it was weird and it was the very stressful. I, can, huh? I, I,
1: I guess c- you would be the authority on that, having yeah, already well, done we, it.
2: It was also like, we definitely had their permission to do this. And they were like, total like, it was above board. They knew what was happening. They were OK with everything we were doing. Uh, <laughs> but it was <laughs> so stressful <laughs> at the same time. Uh, because I was trying to be so mindful. Because I didn't actually know them when I started the project. Okay. They were all strangers okay. to me, and they were basically handing their livelihoods to us. <laughs> to like, you know, these are our, our our brands. This is the the image of ourselves that we cultivated. Please don't mess it up. <laughs> uh,
0: what I imagine, I, I I do have to ask this question. I'm sure, like, just based on what I've seen them say, they all gave it the nod of approval and they enjoyed the game but I have to imagine that there had to be some sort of fan backlash where people are like that's not what they would be like they wouldn't act like that like I actually I just... no wow. <laughs> wow. That, is, yeah. that is shocking
2: so kind of um, at least in my experience and from what I've heard from them the Normal Boots people who've spoken to me, their fan base was actually not quite as united before Asagao came out. And Asagao served to unite the fan base into more of a Normal Boots fan base. So Asagao ended up being this kind of thing that their fans could bond over and then use to branch out into other YouTubers that they hadn't checked out yet. And so we we did well enough uh, at having the characters follow AtoMe game archetypes like visual novel archetypes that nobody was like this is definitely what ppg is like like this is definitely his personality happening right here because we really tried very hard to make it clear that that's not what this game was supposed to be (laughs) (laughs) like there are humorous versions of like basically just these people's online personas happening in this game and it's like we're not touching on their real life we're not touching on how they behave in real life like none of that is okay
0: (laughs) so they were able to they were able people were able to separate the the character from the person which is good
2: yeah yeah and i think i believe anyways that they were able to do that because of how we set up the tone of the world itself where it it just kind of it's this normalized outlandish world where like hanna has pink hair and people talk about how she has pink hair and that and it's weird but it ends up being like an aspect of the meta narrative where uh <laughs> i'm like should i spoil my own game <laughs> um where hanna has main character syndrome which means that like when she was a kid her hair suddenly one day turned pink and then everything started revolving around her yeah so, you, so there's these ways that we play with the world in which, like, you get the imprint. Like, the first thing that happens is the first character you meet in the game is like this narcissistic, beautiful human who s- literally sparkles on screen, and you're like, "All right, well, this isn't something right. I'm supposed to be taking this seriously."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But main character syndrome. All right, I'll I'll play it. Just <laughs> you're just based like, on that part. So- I'm sold. That's clever. I'm more of a like Thanks. NPC background type of guy. I mean, me too. You know. I,
1: so I never went to the Greybeards in Skyrim. I was just like, oh, there's no way I'm important enough here. <laughs> for this. Sometimes people come to me and I give them an item.
0: I'm like you know. that guy that bought the house in Skyrim and just does what NPCs do every yeah. day. I'm that guy.
2: <laughs> just walks around and stands. Yes. Knock, yes. I think his name is. Is that what his name I is? I think it is. It's like N O C K.
1: And he's been doing it since Morrowind. But I think this was a super interesting conversation. Oh this was great. Yes. This was half Final Fantasy half every other game
0: <laughs> <Half> many <laughs> other games half Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> yeah, I'll find out, out my deepest VII.
1: darkest secret that I enjoyed Final Fantasy 13.
0: Hey that's fine. I mean I didn't Did was, you,
2: was it the it, gameplay like what was it?
1: I don't remember <laughs> I just remember enjoying my time with I, I like the combat system. Like I like that I, I like that I could go AFK. Um
2: <laughs> I get that.
1: But uh, th- uh, that that was pretty much it. Like it was flashy and it was like it was a lot more macro management than micro management. And I kind of like that. Like I feel like the Final Fantasy combat system was always very micro management heavy. Like you had to be careful about which attacks you picked, which enemies you fought, like and this was that being just like, the big
3: argument at the time was like, "What's the what's your problem with this game? Like, you're just gonna choose those attacks anyway. Like, why are you so tied to playing with those menus? Just yeah. let us do
1: it. Yeah, it's it's macro management where you can set up your your party composition in like a like a tactical sort of way, and you can switch between roles. The roles that each character had available to them dictated their play style. Like, it was it was very like macro as opposed to micro. And Final Fantasy, I feel like, has always lent itself well to macro, like. You, most of the time you either win or lose a fight the second it starts because that game is like 95% preparation Yeah, like Hmm. having the right abilities at the right time is key to that game to pretty much all Final Fantasy games it's all about preparation like you put on the right armor, you equip the right weapon you put in the right materia or esper or whatever and then you go into the fight and it's already determined whether or not you have a chance to win that fight so why not just turn the combat system into that as well? Just make it all about macro management hmm. as opposed to micro management. That's that's my take on it.
2: Okay. You've you've uh, simmered my feelings on Final Fantasy 13. <laughs> I still think it's terrible, but the gameplay. Um, I I know, don't disagree with don't you that it's terrible,
1: it. but <laughs> the reason I played was the combat. I feel I feel like it felt more like a Final Fantasy game should have Final Fantasy 13's yes. combat
0: felt more like a I don't know. I thought it was a Mash a button
1: simulator, isn't that what most Final Fantasy games are? No, oh,
3: you have to remember uh, magic and you also push down. up and down on the d pad.
2: <laughs> I recall taping down the X button on Final Fantasy VIII when drawing magic.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I made a case for it. I, I mean, that's fair, you did. It's fair, I think
2: it's a, it's, it's a strong case because there's not that many games that. Have that kind of gameplay
1: Yeah It's it's unique So be it then
3: mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sold
1: I'll play it <laughs>
3: <laughs> No Don't <laughs> I'm gonna subject myself to well, this Well I
1: mean The floors are very shiny in that game Next weekend we, We've already got yeah. our hands full Pat so, next, Yeah
3: well we gotta start With next weekend
0: Next weekend we've got what twelve hours of Final Fantasy yes. ten to play?
3: We will be speed running Final Fantasy ten. <laughs>
1: twelve hour challenge, baby. I am not in. I'm not joining in on that. I'm just hyping them up. It's
2: gonna be,
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to guess up the, my dudes here.
2: The thirteenth, right?
0: Yes, the thirteenth.
2: Everybody, show up!
0: It's it's going to be wild. I'm ready though. I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, I Good don't know fun. anything about how to speed run it. But I'm ready.
3: We're gonna we're gonna make it happen somehow. Even it's if we have to watch that fine. whole
0: GDQ run while we run it. <laughs> That'd be pretty Just funny. count all of
3: your steps, you should be fine. As long as we keep the clock running and the game going, it's official. <laughs> yes.
2: And while you're clipping through things, really enjoy some of that environmental world building that's happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shade at Final Fantasy 13 for having none. <laughs>
0: <coughs> Makar, if you wanna promote anything. I'm leaving the floor to you to and promote your Twitch and stuff.
2: Oh, dear. I'm the worst at self-promotion. <laughs> hey, if you're interested in the game that I made, Asagawa Academy, just Google it. It's free to download, but you can also give me some money if you want. You should do that. Uh, otherwise, you can follow me on Twitch, C-H-E-R-A-T-O-M-O, Cheritomo, where I stream narrative games and talk about them and also other relaxing things because I'm a very low energy kind of person. <laughs> or you can go to my Patreon and do things there or follow me on twitter a plus
1: <laughs> like and comment on this video
4: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: remember to hit, hit the bell notification join just, the notification I, squad
3: I,
1: please drive I need our, to our engagements write a,
2: a script that i can like memorize from start to finish and just robotically just spit out every time
1: <laughs> don't forget to click follow on my twitch channel and also go to my twitter and follow that too and engage with me. Send me
2: a picture of your cat. Then I'll know that you came from this podcast.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: Perfect. That's I'll be able perfect. to differentiate
2: you. Would you be like, be, like you a, are
3: special. be like a kid on a piano. And just bang all the buttons to make our <laughs> videos more better.
0: <laughs> but thank you very much for being a guest. Being the first guest.
1: The first guest. First Woo! guest. First guest anniversary.
0: Thank you for having me
2: on. It was really fun. <laughs>
0: And I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. If you did, remember to follow us on stuff because yeah, we got, have those things. Got the, I want to
3: note Frank pointed in a
1: direction.
0: <laughs> I did. He pointed I, towards the basement stairs. I, I <laughs> pointed towards the door. I think he's telling us to leave, to All go right. push the button. All right, guys, I'm going to go push
1: the buttons on the be
0: back. Because I'm just... Bye. I, I'm actually telling these two to get out of my house. <laughs> No, uh, you, could, you can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. It's not on SoundCloud because they want me to give them money and I don't want to give them money, so it's not happening.
2: It's uh-huh. a lot of money.
0: Um, Dollars. So you can find it there. Give it a review if you're using iTunes, if you enjoyed the episode. And as I always say, if you enjoyed yourself, thank you very much for listening, and I will catch you on the next one.
1: Whatever time it happens to be, wherever it is you happen to be, I hope you have a good one. Send us a picture of your cat.